Up next, the news you can use from YAA. It's your 30-minute fix for all your car questions, industry news, and tips you can use when buying your next vehicle. We're your hosts, Ray and Zach Shepska, the founders of YAA. We're here every weekday, live at noon Eastern. Check us out at joinyaa.com. Come on, get in! Oh my God, it's Monday, December 27th, two days after Christmas, and this is news that you can use from YAA with your, with two of the hardest working fellows in the car business, Zach and Ray. How are you today, Hanson? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Pops. How about yourself? Well, you know, I personally, I believe you look more handsome than normal, but you know. Must have gotten some rest this weekend. I'm not sure. It couldn't be because the Cardinals won and the and the Suns. No, neither one of them won. So Bob Sam is here with us. Um, Leon says, "Is this the quote? Welcome to a life. Welcome to life without a life." Channel. Pretty uh, much. Yep. Yeah. Join the club, Leon. Yeah. Uh, MPEG's with us. Igor's here with us. Jimmy's here. Kimmy. Just got her license. Worst timing ever. Now it's a great time to get a license. Just yes, a terrible time to buy a car. Yeah, uh, but it's always good to be licensed. Just as good to see you. Neil's here with us. Melissa here as well. Pops, we got two days after Christmas. We got a couple topics that we're going to cover today, and then you know what? We're yeah. going to announce to everyone, but I'll announce it right now. We're going to take the rest of the week off. We're going to give you some time off. I know you've been asking for it. Also, I want some time off. We're going to take a week off. It's going to be kind of nice. We'll be back a week from today. But today. Well, let me ask you a question while you said that. Uh, are huh. we doing Are we doing the Saturday Night Live gig? or? Let's do, a, let's do a work week off. No weekends off. We're back on Saturday next week. Uh, oh, so, so January 1st, Saturday evening, January 1st. I think we're working. We're, okay. I just, uh, that's what I thought. So, Pops, let's kick things off today. Carvana news. So this is fascinating. The news continues to be not so great. I thought we'd have this conversation. There are actually two. There's currently two class action lawsuits coming out of the state of Pennsylvania against Carvana. It's the same title and registration issues. I was digging in a little bit. I was trying to understand, like, if a dealership were to do something like this, like, what law are they breaking? Like, what's the actual issue here? Or what type of issues, um, you know, would someone face? And as I was doing that research, I saw Carvana has already settled in other states with with um, uh, claimants or whatever the, the correct word is for nearly, I mean, millions of dollars in yes. aggregate. Yes. This is like a cost of doing business for them at this point. Uh, well, that that's probably the way they look at it. Um, every every state is different, but every state gives dealers or whoever's selling a car X amount of time to uh, have the vehicle that they sold titled into the purchaser's name. Most states it's within 30 or 45 days. Okay. Um, and Carvana in well over 300 cases so far has surpassed that amount of time Um by way, way more than the 30 or 45 days that they've been granted. I, I saw in, in one of the articles I read, in Florida, they settled a previous case yep. of, of situations like this for the grand total of $6,000 in fines. Like, okay, when Florida does that, when the, when the state does that, what they're saying is, Here's a slap on the wrist. Please try not to do it again. And if you do, okay, well, well, maybe we'll increase the fine a little bit. There's, if there's no real punishment for the crime that they're committing, then why would Carvana ever stop? 
Um, and then there was another case where I saw where they had a settlement of $850,000. Now you start to get into substantial amounts of money. And if the fines start totaling millions or tens of millions of dollars, at, at that point, maybe both investors and potential buyers say, time out, there's something wrong here. And obviously there, there is something wrong there because it, if you have the title of the vehicle you're selling, it doesn't take you more than 30 or 45 days to get the state to do their job of yep. transferring the title from your name to the purchaser's name. You know, and I didn't, I didn't share this with you, Pops, but it was in uh, the Wall Street Journal, I guess, two weeks ago now. Um, there was another article about Carvana, because if you didn't know this, it's, it's a family-owned business. I mean, yes. they're publicly traded, but it's a family-owned, the, the majority stockholder in Carvana is uh, Ernie Garcia. I don't know if it's, it's the son or the dad. Um, I think it's the dad. Ernie Garcia Sr. is probably the majority stockholder. And then his son, Ernie Garcia Jr., I'm... Yeah. Now, the roles might be reversed when it comes to Carvana, but the parent company was Drive Time. That's Ernie Garcia. So that was, yeah. So that was the article from the Wall Street Journal. I'll, I'll just flash it on the screen really quickly so that everyone can see. It's, it's pretty fascinating what the title is here. Uh, there we go. Family business deals help fuel Carvana's explosive growth. The byline or the lead, excuse me, being... Online used car seller says it will keep striking new deals with companies controlled by a CEO's father, Carvana's largest shareholder. So it's just fascinating when you start to peel back the onion here on this company, like grown incredibly quickly. Yes. Uh, the dad of the CEO, kind of like our situation, is the largest shareholder. Yes. Well, I'm not <laughs> he... the largest shareholder. I'm the smallest. <laughs> <laughs> but dad's involved, right? Yeah. There's all yeah. the other companies that dad had. And like, it's just, I don't know. I'll, I wouldn't be surprised if Carvana like runs into some more serious issues down the line because they're facing challenges from not only their customers, but also like some of the practices for their business. A lot of like nepotism. And well, you know, and, and a lot has been made that, that Carvana is relatively new um, to retailing. You know, they, they've been in business um, since 2012. Um, and one of the uh, articles that we did or stories that we did was based off of a TV station out of uh, Texas, I believe, where the the um, reporter said, well, they're, they're new to the business. They've only been operating t in Texas since 2016. Yeah, if you if you can't get your shit together in five years, Stop. Yeah, you're, really, you're really new to the business. Um, but my point is that they they were spawned from drive time. Now drive time has been in business a lot longer than that. Um, 20 years, 30 years, long, long time. Um, so it's not like they didn't know all the things that are required when you sell a car. It's not like they, they wouldn't have had some people in place that, uh, could put processes and procedures in place to get motor vehicle work and title work done in a timely fashion. Um, it's just that they have figured out that if they're making between the front end and the back end five to $6,000 per car, that a couple million dollars a year in fines, as you say, is just a cost of doing business. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they write that off as marketing. 
I don't know. Um, but it's but it's simply a cost of doing business, and they're willing to put up with that. Um, and and meanwhile, they keep supporting the father's other businesses, and I'm sure the son's businesses get. It was eighty seven million dollars in revenue went to other Garcia owned companies from Carvana last year in the last fiscal year, can, and that's can, like Silver Rock, that's Drive Time. They've got like a plethora of companies that they own. So. Just between you and me and, and the half a dozen or so people that might be might be viewing this, when, when are we putting something like that together? When are you going to start funneling big sums of money into your dad's accounts? You know, and, and I promise, you know, it'll be a circular type of thing. I'll, I'll funnel it back into your accounts. I promise. It's just crazy. It's it's. It's honestly crazy that a big publicly traded company would have that much like kind of like inside connection between businesses, but. It is what it is. Also, interestingly enough, we're having a lot of conversation about Carvana. Ernie Garcia III is a, um, he spent time in jail, if I'm not mistaken. I forget what the heck it was. Um, oh, uh, was I want to make sure I don't want to like. was it? <laughs> no, give no, me I'm a second. Kidding. Nope. I'm kidding. I have no idea. Uh, the third jail. What did he do? It was something, it had something to do with loans going to people that, that it shouldn't, um, that shouldn't have been. Oh, here we go. I'll. Let me share the screen really quick. Okay. This is from Forbes back in 2017. How an ex-con became a billionaire from used cars. That is like as car business as it can possibly get. Doesn't get any more car business <laughs> than that. <laughs> I really hate there's so many ads everywhere, but where was yes, it? Where was it? Um Here you go. At 33, Garcia pleaded guilty in 1990 to bank fraud charge related to his dealings with Lincoln Savings and Loan. He was sentenced to three years of probation, agreeing to cooperate with the U.S. government. Yeah, this Lincoln Savings and Loan. I, yeah. I listened to a podcast on this once. Oh, yeah. And then had, he had to, had to deal with the charge. I hate Keating. websites. Yes. Yeah, I don't blame you. It was in Arizona, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Charles Keating was the head of um, uh, uh, Lincoln Savings and Loan. Um, uh, the former and deceased uh, John McCain, former Senator McCain, was also involved in that scandal. Um, yeah, where where they were uh, using taxpayer money to uh, I don't know, it was just 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 it was just a mess. <laughs> it really, really was. Yeah, more than twenty one thousand mostly elderly investors lost their life savings. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what's the big deal? Just, yeah. The way life goes. So what, cost of doing business, honey. So then, ugly duckling. That was um, that was what, what Garcia got back into. Yes, took that public. Anyway, Carvana. Yeah. They got class action lawsuit. I think, as you said, either it's a marketing expense or it's just a cost of doing business. It yes, they, they don't care. They don't care. And and the only way they will care is when states really decide that it's time to protect their citizens and they revoke Carvana's license to do business in their state. It's, you know, a slap in, on the wrist is, is, is not going to do anything. Um, but revoking their license to do business uh, in an effort to protect the citizens of whatever state it might be would be would be the way to go that would send a signal that they have to clean up their act otherwise they're never going to clean up their act and and the consumers are the ones that will still ultimately be the ones that get hurt 
We've got um, in the chat here from Laquita, no stories ever about people selling warranties who refuse to fix the vehicle, only negative stories about dealers. It's obvious you guys hate dealerships. We don't hate dealerships. I would also comment, um, I posted a TikTok, I think it was just yesterday, actually, maybe it was even this morning. Um, I forgot what the company was called, but in the state of California, they actually just took a uh, an extended warranty company to court. And I think like told them to cease and desist because they weren't paying, paying claims. Like, no, that's a very common issue. Um, and one of the reasons why we're even in the business of selling extended warranties is because we work with reputable companies that will actually do it. And, and we don't hate dealers. I, 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 listen, I made, I made my living working in dealerships. I don't hate dealerships. I hate some of the business practices at dealerships, which is why Zach started this so that we could inform people as to what to look out for. That's what I hate. I, I hate I hate the uh, the process of how cars are sold in this country, but I don't hate dealerships. And yeah, and all the stuff there's plenty of there's cars. plenty of extended warranty companies out there that that haven't done what they're supposed to do, um, you know. And that's why if you're a consumer, you need to do your due diligence about anybody that you would buy anything from. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm sorry we haven't spent uh, the requisite amount of time um, on on extended warranty companies that don't actually pay claims. It's just the ones that we deal with, or the one that we deal with does, which is why we deal with them. Yeah, and also like to be clear, we interviewed service advisors. My dad connected me with tons of people on the service uh, service side of the dealership before we decided who we went with. And also, it's almost like we we're just talking about the linking savings and loans um, and Ernie Garcia going to jail and Charles Keating going to jail. Like, if you don't have information, people take advantage of you. There are 21,000 elderly people that yes. lost their life savings. Like, yes. Anyway. But if, so. if I may, I remember we were driving into Las Vegas to our first uh, verbo uh, when we were going to Las Vegas and you were ago. asking and, and you were asking me about um, extended warranties and things like that. And I said, well, why don't we ask Yanni what his experience has been with these people? And we got Yanni on the phone as we were driving to our verbo. Um, and, you know, we, we actually try to to do the due diligence that most people won't. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And Leon actually has a question. Um, are there still dealers who only sell third-party VSCs and won't sell the OEM versions? Yeah, definitely. And also, the OEM ones are fulfilled through third parties as well. So, In a lot of cases, yes. It's interesting that like, Tesla is breaking down that model a little bit. I don't think there's a third-party fulfilling there, so it's kind of interesting. Like You might see more of that into the future. Okay, Pops. Yes. The Monday, which yes. means the chip shortage update. Although I yes. got to tell you, I'm, I'm frustrated um, with automotive news and with auto forecast solutions. They must have the week off over at automotive yes. news. Yes. I'm fairly yes. certain. Because <laughs> ain't no news being broken today. Yeah. And the, the articles that they put out are not articles at all. It's just like links to data. It's kind of hilarious. Yes. You saw that, right? Yeah, I know. And I was like, yeah, well, nobody can actually read the one on auto forecast solutions. And besides, it's from December 17th. Um, so, you know, a lot has happened probably in the last 10 days um, that, well, since apparently nobody's really working at Automotive News, might not get reported until next year. 
Exactly. So I so we have no chip shortage update because evidently everyone is taken between now and the end of the year off, except for us until tomorrow. Then we're off. But yeah. I'm interested to see. Like I'm gonna still look at the black book report tomorrow. Yes. And see what they put out. Like I don't think they're I don't think they're just like, you know, packing it in for the holidays. So we don't have a chip shortage update. I can show you what automotive news does provide us with now. So I'll put <laughs> that up on the Yeah, it was it, it it's was, hilarious. Just, yes. This is the article, by the way. Yeah. You know, what? apparently, apparently they're not paying their journalists by the word. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool what they gave us here, but like, it's not particularly useful. Like you tell me, dad, it says auto forecast solutions has kept track of the microchip shortages impact on assembly plants across the globe since the beginning of the year. Here are the projected production cutbacks on lines in North America as of December 17th. So this 617, help me out here. Yeah. This is the BMW 2 Series Coupe. Coupe, yeah. Potential lost volume for the whole year between now and December 17th. Like, what is this even telling me? I'm not sure. Um, but I can tell you that the 2 Series Coupe isn't all that popular to begin with. So they probably weren't upset that they lost 682 or whatever the number is. Um, anyway, like we have access to this data, but we can't do anything with it because it's the first time we've ever gotten access to this data. Anyway, chip shortage. Not really, as, as I think the term would be, it's not really actionable. No, it really, <laughs> really isn't. That being said, we did have, and I posted it back on the YAA community. This total vehicles in operation was pretty interesting. That this I was also so. an automotive news today. Yeah, let's take a quick peek at this. I'll zoom into it. And 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 the importance of vehicles in operation. Um, when you're a new brand, for instance, when Mini re-entered the United States back in the early 2000s, you know, um, vehicles in operation are what keep and help make dealerships profitable. It's service departments that, that make dealerships profitable. And you've heard me discuss um, service absorption, the, the concept of that you want your service department to produce enough profit that it covers at least 70% of the total dealership's expenses. Yep. Okay. And in really well-run dealerships, um, service absorption can actually exceed a hundred percent. So what that means is for every new and used vehicle sold in a, in a dealership where service absorption is covering every expense in the dealership, the sale of new and used cars basically just becomes pure profit. So if you're a new brand, for instance, Rivian is, is coming out. Okay. Uh, they have no vehicles in operation, which means if you were a Rivian repair center, the likelihood of that repair center being profitable is virtually impossible because there's nothing for them to service. Yeah. So for instance, when many came back into the country, there were virtually no minis for many dealerships to service other than doing pre-delivery inspections and installations of accessories on the new minis that were coming in to be sold. Um, and that means that for the first few years of operations, um, a new dealership like that is going to lose money. Okay. It's not going to be a profitable operation. So to see the numbers of vehicles in operation, that gives you some idea as to 
um, how many opportunities a particular dealership might have to help build its service department. And you can look at the numbers. I mean, look at many across the board. They've been around for, what, 20 years again, or a little over 20 years. And, and there's only 700 and some thousand vehicles in operation. And so it's not a lot of cars that, you know, when, especially when you compare it to how many BMWs there are. So, yeah, vehicles in operation are, are extremely important to the health, the financial health of, of the dealership network. And I find it interesting they break it out zero to five-year-old cars and five-year or older vehicles. And just to like jump to the chase here, there's 283 rounded up, 284 million vehicles registered in the United States. 190 million of them are five years or older and 94 million are between zero and five years old. It's just interesting to kind of see this information. And, and it's like, there you go. There's 141 triumphs out there on the road still, which is crazy. To think. Well, you know, what's interesting, look at Nissan and yeah. then take a look at how many Datsuns are still in vehicles in operation. Um, you know, because when I first started in the car business and I, you know, the, the first dealership that I spent uh, a lot of, time at it was a nissan dealership or a Datsun dealership um which eventually goes still out there dad that well that that is hard to imagine okay <laughs> you know but yeah there's some there's some really interesting and huge numbers i mean you look at ford you look at general motors and you can see why most most general motors dealerships or ford dealerships can be profitable because there's 40 to 60 million of of these vehicles in operation and yes there's a lot of independent mechanics that do a lot of work today but still a lot of these people go back to dealerships to get work done and and that's why vehicles in operation are so important so we posted that back on the community forum so go take a peek there yeah i thought it was super interesting pops uh, i i just want to address uh Lucrita's comment here again we love good conversation, good, good conversation. Yes. So this is all, all, this is helpful. Think about all the good you could do in the world by opening up a dealership and selling cars cheap and making customers happy. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Greedy dealer problem solves. I, I, I appreciate the sentiment here. I think what's really interesting is if we were to open up a dealership, which I don't really think we have any interest in doing, think about the impact that we could have. Like we could help people within maybe 50 miles, a hundred miles, like maybe max, you could say nationwide because maybe we could like someone could fly in from, yeah. you know, a Washington state to here in Maryland. I think the bigger impact is can we actually empower people to push this forward? Like we recognize that the two of us are not going to change this industry. What the two of us can possibly do with the team helping us is build out the resources, materials, education that will empower millions. And then those millions can change the industry. Perfect example of this, Laquita, would be Toyota came out with, and we are not solely responsible for this. Heck, I don't even know if we played a role in it, but Toyota came Probably out with like their to think we did. Yeah. I correct. Toyota yeah. came out with their subscribe to remote start your vehicle. We broke that news. Steve Leto broke that news. Other people on YouTube, other people on Jalopnik, other websites, they broke that news. Our TikTok got hundreds of thousands of views. A week later, Toyota says, you know what? We're going to think about that some more. And we're, gonna, we're probably going to walk that back. That's an example of educated people pushing back against a system that's optimized to maximize profit. We think that's a better mission and a more durable mission and vision than opening up a car dealership 
and like telling people we make a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars or something like that. Well, and and let's face it, there's there's um, slightly more than seventeen thousand franchised new car dealerships out there. Okay, so if we were to open one, you know, we're one of seventeen thousand. Um, yeah, we could have uh, an impact on our local area, but nationally, it, it really probably wouldn't mean much. We couldn't service the number of people that um, that it would require to actually uh, have an impact in the industry. And I agree with you. I think the way we have impact in the industry is to have the conversations that we have um, to to uh, broaden people's understandings as to the inner workings of the automobile dealership industry so people people um, can can have more insight as to how it all operates how it all works i mean you know we just talked about service absorption a few minutes ago well most people would have no idea what service absorption is that's not a concept that anybody would be familiar with other than somebody like igor and and other managers and and other dealer principles. The the idea behind what we do is to find champions like Igor and other dealership owners who say, you know what, these fellows are right. We've never really looked at it through the customer's eyes. We've always taken the approach that we know best what the customer needs and and how they should be treated without ever speaking to the customer and and so we get champions like igor and others who say it's time to change how we do business it's time it's time to address the way we approach taking care of consumers that's the impact that we can have we can find other champions to the cause yeah yeah i think that's well said pops so a couple things uh Jeremy Harris, are there any good car buying apps? That would be awesome. Check out our website, Jeremy. Yeah, that's uh, a pretty damn good one. Yeah. Start there. Join YAA.com. You can start your search there. Brand new, what we launched on that front. So let's talk a little bit. And Igor, yeah, thank you. We appreciate um, the kind words. Let's talk a little bit, Dad, about going into the new year. So we are we are, we are, are taking the rest of the week off. Super excited about that. Yeah. Um, and then super excited to come back and be full strength. Next year, Pops, January, end of January, we're starting, we'll launch our car reviews. You're actually yeah. moving here to the Bethesda area for a few months so that we can create content together, which will be really exciting. So car reviews is one thing we're definitely doing. We'll have the first few out at the end of January. We also have, um, back on like the, the tools and products and things that we're building, we're working on getting an EV-specific extended warranty product. So if anyone's ever interested in that, we're going to have that. There's so many improvements to vehicle listings that we're working on right now. should be shipped next month as well. Um, so there's a few like bigger pieces. If you have any ideas or suggestions once my dad does move down here to Bethesda, <laughs> which is like three weeks away, for content you want to see, videos you want to see, I might need to buy a car. I don't know. I keep using Laura's car. I love it, but like I may maybe I need a car, so maybe we document that. Like, let us know. But going into the new year, we're this is this is year three of working on YAA, Dad. I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it. Well, uh, apparently, once I move to Bethesda, you'll have access to two cars. Uh, <laughs> one that you're actually listed as a driver on, and one that you're not. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I, but I, I just, I just wait, hang tight, because you made a comment relating to insurance, and I'm excited to share with everyone that on Wednesday I am taking my insurance producer exam, um, passed the pre-exam yesterday, which I'm excited about. Pops, if I am a listed insured on your policy, yes, I can drive someone else's car. That's fine. 
because like as since I'm listed insured under yours, I'm fine. Okay. And you're an saying. occasional driver on Laura's. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I can drive. But I could drive any car unless it's for no, commercial. no. I, 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 I get that. No, I, I, I understand that concept. I really do. Um, and you know, my, this is just my theory. I mean, you know, why, why invest in an automobile when you can just leech off of others? <laughs> I mean, it would make good content, probably. But I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. No, if if you have me and you have Laura, I mean, what the hell do you need your own car for? <laughs> you know, I'll let you take my car anytime. You know that. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate that. Well, yeah. maybe we'll have to sell your car, buy out the lease, sell it, something like that. Perhaps, yeah. And but but the 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 real beauty of me moving to Bethesda is is a we'll be able to do the shows together, um, which I think works better than you being in Bethesda and me being in Ventnor. And and B, we can work on on the auto reviews and other topics outside of the office uh, that I think will be uh, well both fun and informational and uh, entertaining uh, for our audience out there. And so I'm as much as I'm not looking forward to it, I'm also looking forward to it. You know, um, there's the uh, uh, the Mercedes dealership down the street. I know the guys over there. You know, you I haven't do. talked to them in a couple of years, but I. Before we started working on YA, I'd like cold emailed and cold called my way into a meeting with the owner principal. At... I think he still owes you a steak dinner. Yeah, way. he said he was going to take me out to dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell I'll him you're still waiting. Charlie, yeah. I think his name is. Yeah, yeah, that's his Man, name. That was, that was a funny one. You guys, quick story at the end of today's show. So I was still like working for this other company and I'm like trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I thought I wanted to do something in automotive, but I wasn't sure it was going to be like something direct to consumer. I thought maybe we'd like help dealerships in some way. How naive I was. So I, yeah, you're a motor cars in Bethesda. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So what I did was um, I was researching like who's a, who owns it. So I could cold email them and like pitch them on whatever my idea was. And I think his name's Charlie. And yeah. I found some article about Charlie from like the 1970s that was reposted in the Washington post on their website Igor knows Charlie too. See, I'm not making this stuff <laughs> up. Um, and I sent him a cold email and I was like, hey, I just read your article from the 70s about X, Y, and Z. Could we have a, a phone call? And the son of a gun like emailed me back like two minutes later. He's like, this is the best cold email I've ever received. What's your pitch? I gave him my pitch. And he's like, come in to the dealership and I'll have you meet with like my general manager or something like that. And so I had a meeting with these guys. Um, and it's fascinating because I haven't talked to him since obviously we didn't pursue whatever the heck that. Well, well, I think, I think if I remember correctly, we were talking about at that time, uh, putting together, um, a business where we would do, uh, your lease and portfolio, um, retention, uh, so that, because I know from having worked in dealerships that we would assign, all, all these leases and, and, and loans that were coming due to our salespeople as potential new customers or continued customers. And even in downtime, salespeople would say, yeah, yeah, I called, but no, they never really did. Um, and so the concept was that we would put together a lease retention business um, where we would coordinate everything on behalf of the dealership so that there could be a contact that would be in touch with the customer six, eight, nine months beforehand, and then continuing through lease end process. Look at this, look at this pops. Look at this. I just found it. 
June 22nd, 2019, your article in the Washington Post. Charlie, Zach Shevska here. I just came across your article from 1984 in the Washington Post. <laughs> what a fantastic read. It's no wonder you're president and general manager nowadays, <laughs> considering you were selling 10 million in Mercedes Benzes 30 years ago. I don't think you put uh, the S on Mercedes Benz. I think it's just there. Like, yeah. anyway, guys, and you can see here then. Yeah. Anyway. We're taking a week off. We'll be back next Monday. Lots of exciting things coming in 2022. I'm very excited that you'll be down here. I think it'll be fun, Pops. Um, and there you go, Liquida. Yeah, we're here. We're, we're, we love what we do. We're here to help as many people as we possibly can. And, uh, and we also know that we're far from perfect, so we appreciate the feedback. Okay. Finn? Yeah, yeah. I, all of a sudden, you got Italian on me. Finn, yeah, yeah, yeah. The end. Yes. All right, Pops. I love you. Thanks for your time as always. And um, yeah, talk to you later. I, I yeah, I think maybe I'll see you Saturday night. Yes. Sounds okay, good. Okay, cool. You have fun between well now and then. See you then. See you guys. Yeah. Bye all. Join us again next time. Which is probably tomorrow. To get the news you can use from YAA. YAA is your trusted source for all things auto. Thanks for listening. See you soon. soon.